Again, those in the room, those who are watching, let me invite your attention. James chapter 4, choose your friends wisely. We all make many decisions in life. You made decisions today about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do today. But you and I also know whether we're a kid or a student or an adult, we're going to make decisions about friendships and relationships. And I just encourage you to heed. You may want to write this verse down. Paul's words to the believers at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, this great chapter on the resurrection. Paul gives this advice about relationships and friendships. And here's what he says. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. That's one you can rest your life on. Because it makes a difference whom we choose as friends and relationships in life. Let me ask you, again, kids, students, adults, when you look at your friends, your circle of people around you, are they drawing you closer to Christ or are they pulling you away from him? Uh, I've had many conversations in life and in ministry with people who talked about where they used to be at with the Lord Jesus. They talked about living intimate and close with him. And then they made some selection of friends, relationships, and then they say, now I used to be close to him, but now I'm living way over here. It's like I don't even know him anymore. Your friendships will make a difference in your life. Now, I realize in our world it's very confusing because we talk about social media and we talk about all these friends, all these followers that we have, literally by the thousands. But let me ask you this question. If you had a crisis or an emergency at 3 a.m. in the morning, who's going to show up at your house? Whom would you call and say, I need help? Would you come over and help me? I would imagine all the friends and followers, for the most part, that we have on social media, most of those people, if not the overwhelming majority of those people, would never respond to your point of crisis or need in your life at 3 a.m. in the morning. You're going to need some people in your life who love Christ, who love you, who are willing to be there at your time of need. That's why it's wise to choose your friends wisely. Now, let me ask you this question. As I think about kids and students and adults in the room, those watching, how well do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? How well do you know him? See, the goal of the Christian life is that you and I would know Jesus and then we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And so, one, do you know him? And if you know him, then are you being conformed to the likeness of Christ? Do you see Jesus at work in your life? Your speech, your actions, your behaviors, do they resemble what Jesus would do in life? James, in chapter 4, writing to a group of believers, again, not unbelievers, but believers, He's got a very strong word to them because he looks at their lives and evidently they did not know the Lord super well. They knew him as Savior, but sanctification still had a ways to go because when you know Jesus in your life and you're living intimate with him and you're being conformed into the likeness of Jesus, you don't want to show favoritism to other people. And when you're being conformed to the likeness of Christ, you don't want to hurt other people by your words. You don't want to have a sharp tongue in life. And then when you're being conformed into the likeness of Christ, you don't want to serve the Lord Jesus with selfish motives. You want to serve him with purity of heart, surrendered to him, and obedience to him, and for his glory. James writing to a group of believers. He's called them brothers. And here they are. They're showing favoritism. Their tongues are extremely sharp because they're speaking unkind words to one another. 
and they're serving the Lord Jesus with selfish motives. And James has a very powerful word to them in life. Now, as I think about James, let me give you a little warning as we walk through this today. James is not merely stepping on toes in James chapter 4. You may want to note this. He's stepping on lives in James chapter 4. It's one thing to get your toes stepped on. It's another thing to get your life stepped on. And James is doing that. This may not be an easy message for many of us, but I want to be faithful to preach and teach the whole counsel of God because James starts strong in chapter 4 in the verses that we read earlier. So let me invite your attention to your outline. Number one is a foolish decision. James began, he says, you adulterous people. What in the world does he mean? You adulterous people. What he's saying is to the people of God, here's what he says, you have cheated on God. That's a strong word. When he says you adulterous people, he's literally talking about idolatry in life. And he's talking about idolatry. And here's what idolatry is. Idolatry is anything that you and I put before our relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything we put before our relationship with him. So when you look at your life, your marriage could be one of idolatry. Your family could be one of idolatry. Your job, sports, money, buildings, so many other things in life we could put before our relationship with Christ. And so James is saying to them, you adulterous people, you are living an idolatrous life. You're unfaithful to Christ. You're putting things before your relationship with him. He goes on to say, he says, if that's not strong enough, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does that mean? Friendship with the world. Let me, let me explain that just for a moment. What does the idea of world mean? When you read and study the word of God, you'll see this idea of world come up in various contexts. But what does it mean? Let me give you three meanings of that word so that you can understand the context here. One world is a John three sixteen kind of world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The idea of world there refers to people. And the good news is this, that God loves every single person. And the good news is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world, when he was crucified on Calvary's cross, he died and shed his blood for every single person. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's one aspect. Second aspect of world is, is the planted. We see that in Psalm 24. So when we think about the world, we think about the planet. You and I love to go to the oceans. I imagine there'll be people in our church this year will make a journey to the ocean. Other people will go to the mountains. And you may find yourself worshiping the Lord there to say, I see this amazing water. I see this majestic mountain. And you find that is a part of the world, a planet. This is what God created. It didn't just happen. It is a creator. And his name is the Lord God Almighty. That's one part. Third part. What we see here in James chapter 4 is an evil world system. And this evil world system, when we see what he says, friendship with the world is enmity toward God. What does that mean? Friendship with the world, the evil world system. There is a world out there. You and I, this is not an alarm for us. We know this. But there is a world out there, an evil world system that is anti. What do I mean? Anti-God anti-Jesus Christ, anti-truth, 
anti-church, anti-holiness. We live in that kind of world. And James is saying friendship, connecting your life to the evil world system is enmity toward God. What does that word mean? It just means it's hostile and it's hatred to God himself. That's a strong word. You say, here's what James is really saying. We know something in our world about sexual adultery. Somebody who's unfaithful in his or her marriage, we know that. But James is saying to the people of God, he's again, not writing to non-believers. He's writing to those who are believers because he calls them brothers at many times. He is saying this, you are guilty of spiritual adultery in your life. Choose your friends wisely. And for them, they had made friends with the world rather than with God. The evil world system. And so it was hostile, it was hatred to God. And James is speaking to say, you adulterous people, you are living an idolatrous life. You've made friendship the world rather than friendship with God. And God does not like where your heart is in your life. And here's what they were doing. When they looked to get their needs met, they were looking to the world to get their needs met, not the Lord God Almighty. Spiritual adultery. Many years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention was in Salt Lake City, Utah. Dr. Adrian Rogers, an amazing preacher who's in heaven today, pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis for many, many years. But Dr. Rogers was preaching at the convention that year, Salt Lake City. And as he was sharing his message, he said, I need to make a confession to God, but also to you as messengers in the Southern Baptist Convention. And you can imagine what the room was like when Dr. Rogers said he needed to confess a sin. And Dr. Rogers had the attention of messengers, and Dr. Rogers said, I have, I'm guilty of committing adultery in my life. And you can imagine what the room was like. And then he qualified that to say, I've not committed sexual adultery. I've been faithful to my wife, but I am guilty of spiritual adultery. The Lord has shown me in my life that I have loved the church more than I've loved him and my own bride. And Dr. Rogers said, the Lord has shown me as well that the church is the bride of Jesus, not my bride. I have a bride, but it's not the church. Strong word. I want to ask you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you look at your life, are you a friend of the world or are you a friend of God? I want to ask you this morning, Maybe you're not committing sexual adultery. I pray that's not the case of your life. But let me ask you, are you committing spiritual adultery in your life? There are things before your relationship with Christ. Could be marriage, could be family, could be job, could be sports, could be money, could be buildings. What is before your relationship with God? And I love each other. Uh, there are times we, we laugh together and we have a good time together. Sometimes we can't make a decision together. Uh, there are times that we're driving around, it's time for dinner, and uh, we're driving around and say, what do you want to eat? I don't know, what do you want to eat? Well, I don't know either. And we try to decide what we're going to eat, and we finally realize, well, we can't decide what we're going to eat, so let's just go home and eat peanut butter and crackers or a bowl of cereal. Uh, can I get a witness? Anybody been there like that? So we find ourselves there every now and then. It's just life, you know. But even in the midst of that, we still realize, Lord Jesus, you come first in our marriage relationship. As we love one another, 
And even as we love the church, Lord Jesus, you need to come first. So when you look at your life, are you committing spiritual adultery? What's before your relationship with Christ in your life? A couple of words here, one consideration. You may look at it, and here's the next question I would imagine you might ask. Well, how would I know if I'm committing spiritual adultery? Let me, let me get how even what would it look like? Let me give you these insights. You may want to write these down. Again, they're not on the outline. But how do you know? Let me say this today. If you never have time in your life to read God's word and to pray as a conversation to him and to worship with God's people, your spiritual life is in trouble. Did you understand that? If you don't have time to read the word of God and to pray to him as a conversation and to gather with God's people in worship, your spiritual life is in trouble. Those are non-negotiables in the Christian life. Those are the foundational spiritual disciplines in the Christian journey. I'll also say if the sport of the season leaves you little to no time for your relationship and walk with Christ, somewhere you need to evaluate your priorities in your life. If you look at your life and you're so consumed by power and possessions in your life, and again, leaving you little attention to your relationship with Christ, something is missing in your walk with him. If you're more concerned about personal comfort than you are surrender to Jesus in your life, then something is missing again in your relationship with him. And if traditions have a greater place in your walk with him than biblical principles, something is not aligned right in your relationship with him. It's just for consideration. And let me ask you again in your life. Only, only you can answer that. When you look at your life and you look at your heart, are you guilty today of committing spiritual adultery? Something is before your relationship with Christ. Consideration. Number two, consequences. As you know, if, if you commit sexual adultery, there are going to be consequences to that relationship. You can pretend no one will ever know. The truth will find you out. You asked David about that. David did everything he could to hide his transgression and his sin, but the truth found him out. Nathan showed up at his house. Just as you and I know that sexual sin consequences, you and I need to know spiritual adultery has consequences as well. And I could spend the rest of the afternoon on these. I've narrowed them down to a few words. I want you to fill in some blanks, write these down. Here's what some of the consequences are going to be. When your heart is out of alignment and you're committing spiritual adultery to Almighty God, here are some of the consequences. One is fellowship. Understand, I didn't say relationship because I believe in eternal security that when you give your life to the Lord Jesus, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are secure in Christ. But the fellowship can be off. The fellowship can be strained. There are many people who know Christ. The fellowship is just missing in their relationship with God. I believe that was David's story. David knew Almighty God. He knew that he had sinned. And I believe in Psalm 51 where he's crying out to God, asking God for forgiveness and to restore the joy of his salvation. I think David is crying out saying, God, I desire the fellowship back with you again. 
The relationship was there. He just missed the intimacy with God. Maybe that's where you are today. You're missing the fellowship, the intimacy of your walk with Jesus, and you just need to cry out, God, I desire that again. Number two, usability. When you find yourself committing spiritual adultery, you are hindering what God wants to do in your life. You're hindering how God wants to use you. He's got a plan, a purpose. You have been saved for a reason. He's given you the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And so when you are unfaithful to him, it hinders his ability to use you in your life. Number three, testimony. Just as sexual sin will hinder your testimony, spiritual unfaithfulness will hinder your testimony. The people in your family, the people in this church, people in your office, your workplace, people who are classmates of yours in school, when you're unfaithful to Christ, it will limit your testimony to other people. And then number four is emptiness. You'll find yourself dealing with regret, shame, guilt in life. You'll find yourself empty and say, Lord, because of my unfaithfulness to you, I feel so empty in the Christian life. But the good news is he's going to give grace in the midst of that. And so I just encourage you, it's a foolish decision to love this world, this evil world system more than you love God. Oh, I can love people. Absolutely. I can love the planet. I can love mountains and oceans, but please understand I am never to worship those things. I love and appreciate them, but I'm never to worship them. One of the challenges of Romans 1 was this, that they started worshiping the creation rather than the creator. They were unfaithful to him. I just challenge you, love people, appreciate the planet and the earth, but don't worship those things. Worship Almighty God and him alone. A foolish decision is to, is to have friendship with this evil world system. And James says that's where they are. Look at, look at number two is their forsaken devotion. How did this happen? How did it get to a point where they were unfaithful to God and they were committing spiritual adultery? How did that happen? He goes on to say that to them. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I don't think there's a single person in this room or watching. You want to be known as an enemy of God. I don't think that's any of us. So how does that happen? It's a forsaken devotion. I mean, you go back and look at James 1, all that God was teaching them. And here they are now. They've drifted in their relationship to him. They started here. They had drifted over here. It didn't just happen. A sexual sin doesn't just happen. You drift and you move in your relationship with somebody else. Spiritual adultery doesn't just happen. You drift in your relationship to one point. You find yourself where you were over here at one point, intimate with God, but you make decisions of forsaken devotion. Then you find yourself over here one day, and you think, God, how did I get over here? And now I'm unfaithful to him. I grew up on Barren River Lake, not far from here. And I remember going to going to Barren River Lake. We had a boat. We'd get out on the boat and have a good time. We'd put the anchors down. Or I remember being in Florida at the beach, swimming in the beach right in front of our hotel. We're right there swimming. And then before long, if you don't realize, the wind's blowing or the current is moving. And you started right in front of your hotel or right where you put anchors down. And then all of a sudden, you wake up somewhere and you realize, I'm about three hotels down. How did that happen? Well, it was the current moving your way. That's why you've got to be careful in your walk with Christ. This evil world system is seeking to pull you away from Jesus. Choose your friends wisely. Are they drawing you closer to Christ or away from him? 
And so James is saying there's a forsaken devotion because you have not been faithful to God in your life. You've drifted in relationship to him. You've fallen in, world with, fallen in love with the world and you're an enemy of God in the midst of that. But again, grace is coming. He just wants them to know this is where your spiritual heart is at this point of your life. Now I want to give you some words here. Then how can you protect yourself from spiritual adultery? How can you do that? I want to give you good news in the midst of that. You, encourage you to write these down number one spend time in your bible if you want to protect your heart from spiritual adultery spend time in the word of god know the heart of god and the mind of god it will protect you in the christian life if you want to drift in your relationship to him you just close your bible you never open the word of god and you're going to see drift in your spiritual life but if you want to stay intimate and in love with jesus not this evil world system you stay in the word of god and you let god teach you and feed you every day of your life and god will do that spend time in the bible next stay consistent in your prayers Thank God for food. Thank God for so many things. But just have a personal conversation with God. Stay consistent and say, God, this morning, I'm going to meet with you. You're going to teach me. Stay consistent talking with Almighty God. Number three, remain faithful in your worship. Personal worship, get up in the morning. God, I'm here to adore you, honor you, and love you. I'm gathering with your people on Sundays and Wednesdays. And God, I can't wait to gather with your people that we're going to worship you. Stay faithful to him. Number four, pursue accountability in your relationships. You need people in your life who will ask you the hard questions in your walk with Christ. Have you been in the Word of God this week? How's your conversation with God? What is your worship with Almighty God like? Are you drifting in your relationship with Him? Are you guilty of spiritual adultery in your life? Who is asking you those hard questions in your life? You need accountability in your life. And then number five, be alert in your surroundings. Make sure where you are. Make sure you're not following the ways of the world. You're following the heart of God. Make sure you're aware of your surroundings. There are places, as a believer in Christ, you should never be at in life. Just pay attention to your surroundings. Now, you look at it and you say, well, there's no wonder there's so many people committing spiritual adultery. Just look at the facts around us. How many people have their names on a church roll? They've joined the fellowship of the local church, but they never darken the doors of a church facility. They never gather with the people of God. How many people never open their Bibles to study the truth of God's Word? Research says that over 80% of Americans have three or more Bibles in their household. Research also says that 50% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. And then research also says that the average American spends less than 10 minutes a day reading the Word of God. No wonder we find spiritual adultery in our day. And, and then you find people who are trying to handle temptation, the enemy coming against them, they decide they're going to do it on their own. Please understand, you and I cannot be victorious over the enemy on our own. We need the power of God and the victory of the Holy Spirit to deal with temptation. We can't do that on our own. Jesus used the word of God. You and I need to follow his example and his footsteps. A foolish decision. 
but there was a forsaken devotion because they had drifted in relationship. Number three is a favorable declaration because now James gets us some good news in this. He's got good news because he starts talking about the grace of God. God's going to give them leadership. And now we're going somewhere this weekend and and we, we were put the address in our GPS system on the car. We frustrated that lady on the car. She got so tired of us. She wanted us to take a right first, and we took a left. That ticked her off. She didn't like that. And then we're driving down the road every quarter of a mile. Turn left, turn left. Turn. We kept going straight because I, I got a better route than she does. Finally, she just quit saying anything. She's like, I'm not giving you any directions anymore. You're going the direction you want to go. The challenge for you and me is we need to make sure we don't try to walk this life on our own. We follow the leadership of God. What is his GPS saying to you and to me? Does he want us to go to the right, to the left? Does he want us to go straight? What does God want to do? Look at these two statements. Number one, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. What does that mean? I, I just ask you today, are you, is your heart filled with pride? Here's what pride looks like. I don't really need Jesus in my life. I don't need his help in this situation. I'll figure it out. I'll find the solution. I'll get to the other side of this. Oh, I'll give my life to Christ maybe in a month or two months or three months or four months. I'll make that decision somewhere down the road. Do you realize you may not have four months left in your life? Do you realize you may not have next week left in your life? But pride says, I'm going to do what I want to do on my time, not God's time. God opposes the proud. Second statement, God gives grace to the humble. Aren't you grateful for this phrase? And he goes to you adulterous people and friendship of the world is hatred, hostility to God. And anybody who's a friend of this world is an enemy of God. And he goes through all that and he talks about what the scripture says and talks about how he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And then this wonderful phrase, but he gives more grace. Thank God for grace, church. Thank God for his amazing, unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't even deserve it. He just gives more grace. You and I today, we're saved because of the grace of God. You and I sit in this sanctuary worship center because of the grace of God. You got up this morning and you can see and you can hear and you can breathe and you made your way here. Why? Because of the grace of God. He gives more grace. You'll never outgive him. Even in the area of grace, you'll never outgive him. Why? Because he gives more grace, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then that's why he said again, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to open the floodgates of grace in your life, you humble yourself before Jesus. What does humility look like? It's the opposite of pride. Humility says, I need Jesus today. Humility says, I've loved the world more than I've loved Christ, and I need to ask him to forgive me. Humility says, I need to surrender my life to Christ, not three months from now, but I need to surrender my life to Christ today. I need him as my Savior. I need to be baptized. I need to join the fellowship of this church. I need to confess sin in my life. I am desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what humility looks like. And when that happens, he opens the floodgates of grace in your life. Dio Moody, I, I love to read anything but Dio Moody. A great evangelist. He had a heart for people who needed to know Christ. 
And one day, D.L. Moody was in the presence of an evangelist named Johnny Vassar. Johnny was so delighted to meet somebody whom he had read so much about, D.L. Moody, one of the great soul winners, evangelists that we've known in history. And Vassar came up to Moody and said, can't believe I get to meet you because you're the one whom God has used to lead so, so many souls to Christ. And, and Moody just said, I'm grateful to meet you as well. And then Moody did something that was a little bit unprecedented for him. But D.O. Moody, this great servant of Christ, after Vassar said that to him, Moody bent down to the ground. He picked up a handful of dirt. And Moody looked at Vassar and he said, this is what D.O. Moody is like. And then he let that dirt just fall from his, from his hand, except the grace of God would use me. Folks, outside of Christ, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. But he gives more grace. Let me ask in the room, let me ask those who are watching online, how many of you this morning just need to say, God, will you give more grace into my life? I need more grace in life. How many of you this morning, I'm not asking to raise your hands, not asking to, uh, to answer out loud, but how many of you this morning would say, if I've committed spiritual adultery, what do I need to do? I want to tell you what to do this morning. If you've committed spiritual adultery or you are committing spiritual adultery, you confess that sin to God and you run to him. And you let him just lavish you with grace on your life. What if you look at your life and you're traveling down the wrong road and you realize that? God wants you to go a different direction. You're going down the wrong road. You've ignored his GPS system and you're doing things on your own. What do you do? You confess that sin to him and you run to him this morning. What do you do in your life? You look at it and say, thank God I'm not committing spiritual adultery. Thank God I'm not going down the wrong road in life. Thank God I'm following the leadership of Christ. What do I do? What do you do? Here's what you do. You confess to him, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. With you, I can do all things. Make sure my heart stays aligned with you. Protect me, Lord Jesus. You just need more grace in your life. Choose your friends wisely. Let me go back. You're going to make a lot of decisions. How many of you have close relationships with people who are pulling you away from Christ rather than drawing you closer to him? And how many of you today find yourself more in love with this world than you are with Jesus? And the good news is if you'll confess that and you'll turn to him, repent, he will lavish grace on your life and change your life. It's good news. He'll do it in this service. He'll do it right now. He'll do it as you watch online. That's why we give an invitation. That's why we invite you to come to Jesus in your life. He's the only one who can do that, Jesus. All those chains that you have in your life, because of the amazing grace of God, you can walk out set free. You can log off set free because his grace is amazing. Let's pray together. Oh, Father. Today I pray right now, Lord, those in this room and those who are watching. God, if we have found ourselves in a friendship with the world and not you, God, that we would confess that. Confession is powerful. 
And God, if we've fallen victim to this world, it just says, put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. Wait, wait, wait. Another time, another time, another time. Oh, God, that we would say today, no, no, no. We, we surrender this morning to you, Lord Jesus. And that's to trust you as Savior. That's to follow you in baptism. That's to join the fellowship of our church. That's to make another spiritual decision. That's to confess any sin, Lord, to you. Amazing grace, our chains can be gone today. And God, if we're guilty of spiritual adultery, where we've loved something or someone more than you, could be a kid, could be a student, could be an adult, God, move in our midst today. Move in our midst today. And God, lavish us today with more and more grace, we pray. And God, that we can walk out and we can get in our cars, we can log off and go about our day and say there's nothing in life more precious to me than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then, Lord, when you're first in our lives, all this other stuff just has a way of finding its rightful place. So, God, I pray today for salvation, for baptism decisions, and church membership decisions, but, God, just Christian life decisions. But there could be honesty here today and confession here today and to say, you know, I haven't chosen my friends wisely and I'm paying the consequences of that. But I come home to a loving Father and He gives me grace today and our chains are gone. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.